I'm Janine. This is Outside the Box, and today I am joined by Dean Ian Williamson. And I know you're not Dean yet here at UC Irvine, but congratulations anyway. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Now, you are connecting from New Zealand, correct? This is correct. I'm in Wellington, New Zealand right now. So before we get started, I was just sharing with you some of the things I wanted to discuss. And I want to get into, not right this second, but advice you can give people that are coming out of college, uh, that are um, from diverse backgrounds that feel like, where am I going to find work right now? There's a pandemic, right? Mm. And am I going to be discriminated? When you were growing up in Chicago, what was it like for you finding work, finding opportunities, believing in yourself? Well, I think, yeah, those are finding work, finding opportunities, and believing in yourself. I think are three very different things. And I think I'll start with the opportunity. And this is perhaps the most heartbreaking aspects of what I've watched over the last several weeks uh, in terms of the rioting that you've seen in the United States. And, and that there were not as many opportunities in the neighborhood that I grew up in as there were in other neighborhoods. And I think that's really important to just take a step back and appreciate. So I remember very vividly when I was in high school, you know, wanting to look for a job. And, you know, you become to begin to realize that that opportunity for a you know, 16, 17 year old kid in the neighborhood where I was on the south side of Chicago was going to be very different than it would have been for a 16, 17 year old kid in another neighborhood, say the north side of Chicago or a suburb mm -hmm. of Chicago. And it wasn't the fact that I was going to be working any, uh, any harder or, in, or you know, easier than someone else. I wasn't going to be, I'm going, I was going to be searching as much, but that, that, that inequity right there began to really shape a lot of the option sets that you would have. And so that was a big thing. And just kind of mm -hmm. understanding like, well, wait a second, I'm going out here every day and I'm looking for work, but is it going to be there? And sure. so that did require, you know, just more effort. And I think the other component around that when it comes to like your, your confidence in yourself, is maybe not just confidence in yourself as much as it's the aspirations you would have for yourself. So I think one of the big defining moments for me was my mother. Uh, this was after my first year of college. I went to school and I came back and I desperately needed a job to sort of afford to go back to school. And my mother gave me, um, it sounds kind of funny at this time, but she gave me $5 and she said, I want you to go downtown and don't come home until you've taken your resume to every possible place in downtown. And she said, that's enough money for you to get a sandwich and bus fare. I love it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I, you know at, that, at that age, you're sort of like, okay, whatever. You're still somewhat obedient to your parents. Yes. Yes. And um, I did. And I went to every single bank in downtown Chicago. And I walked in the lobby and I spoke to the receptionist. Uh, and I um, said, are you hiring? And here's my resume. Um, and as it turns out, I was very blessed in that there was um, a bank in Chicago that called me back up out of the blue. And um, one thing led to another. I ended up getting a job that summer working at a bank. How old were you? I would have been uh, 18. 18. Have been 18 at that time. Yeah. What a great experience, because I'm sure not a lot of people were going from business to business. And here I am. And here's my resume. And yeah, this is sometimes not knowing any better is a good thing to have. I yes. just thought, okay, my mother told me to do it. This would keep her off my back for a day. Let me put this. <laughs> you know, I put on my one suit and I went downtown yeah. and I walked around, you know, and, and handed out resumes. And, and I think, um, you know, part of that is, I think what I took from that was, um, you know, I could have maybe just gone down the street and trying to find a, a job at a grocery store or something like that, you know, but. Mm -hmm. um, you went for it. That, 
Well, I think she just set an expectation. Good. Right. And I think that was the other thing that was a very big deal is that if you don't have an environment that sets an expectation for you, then you don't try to even do those types of things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't as much as whether or not I was going to be successful at doing it as much as it was an expectation. That's the type of thing I should do. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the other part of that environment that I was speaking to, whereas what is the expectation that the environment has for you? And as an individual, you know, I was, I graduated from high school. I spent a year in college. That's, you know, better than one, you know, a person who's never been to college, I guess. Yes. And her expectation of me was you should feel comfortable in those places like anybody else. Why would you not expect that you can work there? I like that. Did you get that job at the bank? I did get that job at the bank. And it, nice. it was a really, and you know, it's sort of like success begets success, right? So now I have a job on my resume that looks like a somewhat professional job. I'm studying business in college and I've yeah. spent the summer working at a bank. And, um, you know, I came back that year with a lot of confidence feeling like I can be a business person. You know, I've worked in downtown Chicago in a tall building yes. at a major bank, you know, and that begins to really shape your expectations also around, well, now it's, I see why it's important for me to actually study because mm-hmm. you know, this is something I can do for real. So those, those things, you know, even though I probably didn't make that much money that summer, but that's okay. Things, yeah, what was the recommendations? As I always say, yeah, say to my daughter, you get a recommendation uh, and it builds. But more importantly, you know, being able to walk into an environment and know you belong in that environment and there's nothing intimidating about that environment. It's just an environment like any other thing. And so that was, that was great for me. That was great. And that confidence, that experience must have helped you land your next job. Oh, no, it begets success over and over and over again. And this is what I'm saying. It was more just the expectation that was set upon me mm-hmm. more than anything else because why would I not then apply for another internship? Why would I not consider taking on a more major role? Um, you know, these are all the things that I think my parents did a really good job of. And I think they had to really um, uh, work hard around because there were certainly a lot of other elements in the environment that were just not suggesting that that's something that I would be doing. And that's to be quite blunt solely because when, you know, you see a tall black kid walk in, the last thing you're thinking is business executive in many environments. Yeah. And for them, they were, they were just really good at never allowing that to be off the table, you know, Great. and just sort of really reaffirming that. So that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier around those initial, those initial issues. I think that's a big, that is a big step around that. And that role modeling effect, that expectations and the expectations that others have of you, but also that you project to others makes a big difference. So for somebody going into college, let's say a high schooler wanting to land some summer, summer job, it's really tough right now. Mm. What would you, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I think from, I would recommend that those individuals put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of cases where individuals are going to feel uncomfortable. Uh, there's going to be people explicitly trying to, lower the expectations they have of themselves to pigeonhole them as to not being qualified or appropriate or not feeling comfortable around them because of their background. And what I've learned is that's their problem. True. And you, you, you know, you have to kind of walk into that situation being very confident around what you're willing to do. So are you willing to work? Are you willing to sort of commit to learning? 
And are you willing to sort of put yourself out in those environments? And that's tough, right? It's yeah. certainly not the case that I want to make this a naive conversation because right. it's, it's impossible to, to be in a situation where people are consistently not looking upon you with the highest expectations and then not have an impact on your mental well-being. But mm -hmm. by the same token, you, get, you have to hold on to, you know, what you know to be true. And, um, and your, your skill, your effort, and your background in no way, shape, or form puts right. you at a disadvantage. It's just about whether or not you're willing to, to go out. And I think um, one of the things that I've often appreciated um, in just in my life is to not be uh, limited in what I, how I perceive opportunity. So I'm in New Zealand. And certainly um, when I moved here, many people would have thought, well, why would you want to go there? And not to limit how I think, I think opportunity comes in many sizes and shapes and forms. And what I've appreciated over time is you don't know unless you put yourself out there and you can't always anticipate which people will be benefit, will benefit the most from you. Nor do you, nor do you get to choose oftentimes where you can create the most benefit. Right. So I would never have envisioned um, that where I could probably have a positive impact is supporting New Zealand, the New Zealand community. Um, but I have, I think. Fantastic. Uh, certainly that's been very rewarding for me. But that, that required me to take a step back and not just dismiss that as a place that would value me or dismiss that as, as a useful opportunity because it, it was in a small island in the Pacific. I think it's incredible because sometimes I know I've had a tendency to make decisions based on somebody saying, oh, I don't think you're going to like that. Or, That's probably not going to be a good fit. Mm. And I've learned not to do that, that that's their own opinion. It's not necessarily my experience and my opinion. I need to discover that on my own. Well, I, I've always said I will, I will challenge myself to consider any opportunity because ultimately the other side of the table will decide if they need me or not. <laughs> That's true. You know, that's, I, don't, I, don't need to make, I don't need to make that choice for them. I need to just do my part of the job and yeah. do their part of the job. And if it is the case that I'm not going to help them do what they're trying to do, I am 100% confident they will let me know. Um, but if I don't even sit down at the table with them, then I'll never know that. And what does it really cost me? Um, mm -hmm. and, I've, and I've found that uh, it very rarely costs me anything. And in most cases, it's actually been quite beneficial for me. And, and this has allowed me, I think, um, to have a lot of a wonderful experiences with a wide variety of communities around the world that I would not have thought of as being in a place where I would have been received, you know, um, accepted, but more importantly, I would be productive and, you know, use what I use my talent in a way that was useful for what they were trying to achieve. That's great. Now, there was a time in your life growing up where you experienced racism in Chicago. Yeah. I would say, um, I don't know if it, the time is over, <laughs> but I can right. certainly speak to that. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, definitely, you know, the experiences that you've seen over the last several weeks around the outcry, of uh, just frustration and pain and anger and sadness is one that has been bottled up in individuals for a very long period of time. And even at a very young age, if I think about my experiences engaging with, for example, the police or the expectations, and I can think of very vivid examples where, you know, just very physical harassment by the police for just existing was something that happened. Just existing. Um, yeah, I mean, just, 
I, I can think of situations where I, I was in a public place and a police officers came and just grabbed me and dragged me into the bathroom and started yelling and screaming at me. Uh, I would have been. And like, you had oh. done nothing. I was just standing there. Yeah. Um, and you know, my, and I was with my mother, uh, which was even ah. more. And so she, you know, and it took her yelling and screaming at the police to sort of have them stop restraining me. Mm -hmm. um, and their excuse was, I looked like someone they were looking for. Uh, and so, you know, that was a very early memory of mine. So mm -hmm. that systematic um, expectation or devaluing, I think is the best way to think about it. The, the systematic devaluing of another individual's humanity is certainly something that I've experienced. And, you know, sometimes it's in very, um, it can occur in very salient, you know, overt situations like that. But it can also be in those subtle slights. Um, I, in my role, I, over my career, attend a lot of functions and, um, you know, big speeches and formal affairs. And it's quite, quite often um, that when I walk into that environment, the notion that I might be the speaker versus the person who's serving is oftentimes mm -hmm. unclear, right? And so those types of things are there. And so you, I can certainly relate to the, the pain that people are expressing. Uh, yeah. And it is just that, it is pain, right? Because if right. you have your humanity challenged, what else, how else would you experience that? Yeah. And while I, and I think it's important for others to understand where that's coming from, because if they do, then they can appreciate the logic of well, what would it feel like for you if your humanity was challenged? Exactly. How would you respond to that? Um, what would you want to have happen um, around that? And this really forces the dialogue around inclusion, I think will challenge many people's world's view because what we find, uh, what I find is oftentimes individuals at a very uh, simple level will say, well, I, I think of all people as being equal and same and open. But when you look at what happens in the day-to-day -day environment, not every person has the ability to dictate the terms of how they're engaging. That's true. And, and, and I think for, for inclusion as a, as a concept to play out, it is not that we agree on what the terms are, but we all have an equal playing field to determine how, what those terms will be. And culturally, um, you know, this is challenging because if I'm working with a group of individuals who are, uh, come from a Muslim background versus a Christian background versus a Jewish background versus a European background versus, we're not going to have a common understanding as to what is or is not right. But we certainly should be able to respect the fact that you have this much right to determining what is the appropriate way to handle this as I do. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's where you're able to actually create a sense of respect between individuals. And, and quite frankly, that oftentimes doesn't happen in many institutions. And this is where you begin to get the pain that people experience. I think the one thing I've seen, and I've gone to some peaceful rallies here in Southern California is there's so much pain and that we have to be better humans. We have to be kinder, more compassionate, more empathetic, and we can't be bystanders and just watch injustice happen because we should just stick up for everybody. You see something that doesn't seem quite right. I don't know. That's my experience. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you, you cannot be in an environment where you're either overtly or, um, you know, whether you're actively or inactively allowing for the dehumanization of another individual and it not impact who you are. Yeah. 
right? And that's, and that's, that's really important for people to understand. And so you're not going to be able to walk out of that situation uh, unscarred, regardless of which side of the equation you're on. Because it's going to set up an expect, you know, there's going to be a sense of guilt for you. And that's mm -hmm. real if you sit there and you were not actively doing it, but you watched it. But also it normalizes that behavior for you. Yeah. So as you go forward, the notion that that's not going to impact how you interact with other people going forward, it's just not true. You're not going to be able to sit in an environment where um, one party is being alienated or discriminated against or just uh, devalued and then walk into another situation and not have that carry over and shape how you view that situation. Right. It's just not. Uh, you're going to have an expectation around, well, I don't really have to put in the effort to think about the other side of you, you know, they can deal with it. And, you know, it becomes quite convenient for you. And, that, and that's regardless of what your background about me, but, but there are cases where systematically certain voices are silenced, certain perspectives are not given legitimacy. Yeah. And it's perpetuated over and over and over again. For hundreds of years. Yeah, and, you know, and I think I, my experience has been that this is true in all societies. Yeah. And, and so that effort that requires to, to sort of take that step and ask, okay, I, I need you to listen to what you're trying to say and I need to allow that to challenge the fact that what you're saying may not exactly be what I wanted you to say. But that doesn't mean what you're saying isn't real or legitimate or valuable. It just means it's inconvenient for me. And yeah. you know, I have to take that time and effort and most people will say, well, why would I put forth that effort? Well, what's the reward? So now I have an opportunity to connect with the person maybe work with an individual, gain value from other individuals, get respect from another person that I would not normally be able to do. So I spent, you know, a period of my career working in Indonesia. Um, you know, so you can sort of say, well, that's really interesting. Uh, a black person from Chicago living in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm a black Christian person from Chicago living in Indonesia, which is full of individuals who are not black, who are not from America and who are not Christian, they're Muslim. And it was a fantastic experience for me, but it was a daily challenge for me to say, I have a worldview around this, which is inconsistent with what they think, but I'm gonna take the time to understand that because that allows me to connect with them and see the human person. It's humanity, yeah. Yeah, and that, I benefited tremendously from that, but it was exhausting for me. You know, right. like every day you're going, nothing about this environment is cons consistent with the environment that I grew up as being completely normal, appropriate and right. But that doesn't mean this isn't great. It was actually fantastic. And I did great work with them and developed great friendships. That's but I had to put forth effort. And, right. and that's, and, you know, and, and it's like getting in shape too, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, if I want to run a marathon, I can go out there and I can just run those 20 something out miles and my body will fall apart, right? It's, it's, that's right. not how it works. Mine it's would. day to day. Yeah. You got to get up every day. Mm -hmm. And so if you've sort of sat on the couch for three years and now you want to go real marathon, you can't expect that that day to day is going to be easy. And this is mm -hmm. the same way. If you've had a habit of not including and encouraging or engaging with, you know, that's great that you've got this perspective to say, now I'm going to do it. But, you know, that muscle is going to take a while to get strong. Sure. sure. How can, how can we begin to heal right now and, not it's not get over this it's learn from this and become better humans I, in my role as a social psychologist so i'm a i study people i'm an organizational behavior uh is in my area of expertise and i particularly focus that in the domain of human resource management so i work a lot with companies on 
how they can develop and retain and create value through diverse workforces. And that's globally. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in the context of that within an organization, you have to systematically look at how is it that we set these processes up so that we have systematically excluded portions of society from having any voice in what we're doing. Mm. So if I walk into a room and it's very quick, you know, it's typically for me a a senior executive group. And if I quickly realize that there is um, only one type of individual or one background in that room and I'll ask them, so talk to me about your strategy. What are you trying to do? And they will tell me the various communities that they're trying to do work in. And I will try to paint out the dissonance that that experience is. You have systematically, through all the resources you have as an organization, mm-hmm. excluded all of those communities from any opportunity to talk about what you're doing. Explain to me how you're going to do that well. Right? And that's a exactly. pretty confronting. You're yeah. not going to do it well. Right. And then, you know, the next confronting aspect around that would be, well, what does that actually mean for us? And suggest, well, you know, let's deconstruct this. You didn't consciously start off on this path. This was institutionalized in the way you actually set up your processes. You know, who are you talking to when you're looking for a role? How mm-hmm. are you evaluating people? What are you evaluating them on? Which opinions are you seeking out? So I, I think there's a, just a very basic deconstructing of the institutions that we have yes. to ensure that that's part of the story. And in doing that, you know, the, the, the communities that are there are given a pretend opportunity to say your, your point of view, your experience is valued. We view you as a peer. Tell us what you think. We will act on your activities. And so there has to be a certain level of de- development of trust. Right? So mm-hmm. you you're historically not giving any credibility to what I'm saying. So now you're asking me why you're asking me. Um, and I think that's that's really important in an organizational setting. And if I think about that from a societal perspective, I think you just extrapolate that. So yeah. that, that to me is a lot of the work that, that I've done. And along that time, you know, you're going to have individuals come up and express to you how it felt to not be involved and how it felt to be involved and the nervousness around that and the expectations and the, and the fears around being perceived as um, being token or not being legitimate or, right. you know, all those things. That's natural. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think as a, as a leader in that environment, you have to remind everybody the vision of what you're trying to accomplish and how that's not going to be possible without bringing in everyone at the table. And certainly at a higher education environment, that's really right. critical. If you look at most universities, you'll see that the leadership of those universities oftentimes is not representative of the broader community that they, they have. And that's just systematic access to education. And, and so without overt steps to alleviate that, you just don't ever get there. Yeah. I think that I'm beginning to see even schools with younger kids, they're overhauling their, their procedures and how they're um, treating diverse, you know, children. And, and then it's, I'm seeing it in the colleges. So it's, um, it's essential. It's, it was like a wake up call that you're probably thinking, well, where have you all been? Because this has just been going on. Unfortunately, it took the tragic death of George Floyd, it created an avalanche of awareness of all these people, all these people that have died from police yeah. brutality. Um, so it's, I just hope that some positive change will come about. Well, I think two aspects will happen around this. One is you have various communities reclaiming their humanity 
and saying, I have an expectation now of how I should be treated and I don't feel afraid of expressing that. And then you have another side of the equation of individuals realizing um, the impact of actions. And so, you know, I don't, again, this is gonna create a dialogue that I think is much more genuine, but that dialogue won't go anywhere without some very overt efforts to create spaces or actions that actually legitimize this. As I said, I, 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 kind of, I kind of feel that ultimately inclusion is a story around individuals having the ability to actually have, I have the ability to determine the nature of how we engage. Right? That's, a, that's a mutual agreement. Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't mean that one party is gonna get put at a disadvantage of another. It's just that we both have the, the right to determine how we engage yes. and we'll discuss that and mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. And once we've determined that, then it's okay. And then it could be anything, you know, I, I've, I've had students in my classes raise some really interesting questions. The student once said, well, I have this woman who is a male. Uh, he says, I have a woman, she's fantastic. I think she'd be a great executive, but she shared with me that she wants to have a family. So, you know, I don't know if that's really going to work out. And so I go, that's interesting. So you, what's your goal as a leader in this organization? He says, mm -hmm. we want to be as successful a company as possible. I said, right. And do you think having good people is going to help you do that? Yes, it will. And you've said that you think this woman is better than any other person you have for that role. Yes, I do. But you don't think you're going to offer to her because she wants to have a family. No, I don't have a, I have a concern around that. I said, well, you've just determined the terms of engagement. You yes. said that a person who's an executive has to, and is successful has to work 70 hours a week. Who said they have to work 40 hours a week? My mm -hmm. sense would be you've already figured out that her 20 hours is better than 40 hours of anybody else. So why are mm -hmm. you not engaging with her to determine how, what are the terms? Did you even ask her? Right. Right. Yeah. And so this is, you've systematically created an environment that says her experience, as in an experience of a person who wants to be a mother, is not as legitimate as mine. And why should she have the ability to dictate the terms of how we engage in achieving our goal? That is and, so and, interesting. Right. You know, she yeah. has just as much authority to determine it. By the way, you're dependent on her skill. Mm -hmm. She has just as much authority to determine the terms of engagement as you do. Yeah. But you've not given her the opportunity to, because you're not respecting her experience. Whoa, what did he say? That's what it boils down to. He was quiet. <laughs> I'm sure he was. was. confronting for him because yeah. it made him realize, but that's going to take a lot of effort. Right. Yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to run a work environment that doesn't just mean the normative of everybody who's an executive comes in and works 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. But, oh, wait, did you ever realize there might be some other really talented individuals that you might benefit from around that? Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you had a better person, you wouldn't be thinking about this, but you don't. So why don't you do your job as a leader and think about it? If you're committed to the vision, if you told me that's what you wanted and the best people are going to let you get there, you already know who the best person is. You're lucky to have them. You just aren't willing to put the effort in to get them in an environment that allows them to be successful. So I, that's what this is going to take. Yes, definitely. So going back to... Uh, the series outside the box because you've said a lot of great things, a lot of great takeaways. But what advice would you give someone right now who is um, out of work? Yeah. Because we talked about on my other show, uh, networking. So, but what advice would you give someone who's feeling really down because they're out of work right now? 
first thing I would recommend is that your employment situation is not your identity. That's really important for people to understand. Uh, so much of who we are is shaped by what we do and our self-efficacy, our standing, our image is shaped by what we do. But your employment situation is not a does not dictate your identity. It's not, it's not an indication of who you are as a person. It's just an indication of an economic environment. And, and, and so why I stress that is oftentimes individuals get into a cycle where they'll start saying, well, I'm not going to even gonna bother apply. Nobody's going to want me. Each situation is a unique situation and not related and not dependent upon each other. Your employment situation is not your identity. You're just as skilled every time you apply for every job. And not, never, whether you've been denied for seven jobs in the past, nothing about that took away any of the skills that you bring to this eighth opportunity. And so that resilience perspective is really important, but more, I think even bigger than just being resilient, it's an appreciating your identity and your confidence in yourself. So the second component around that would be, be very open to what opportunity may exist. Mm. Um, we are, uh, one of the interesting things about networking is uh, that we're very comfortable going to individuals we know, and typically the people we know are the individuals that are like us, and we typically are very comfortable expressing to them a need or asking for their assistance, which is great. And if they know us and they like us, they're going to do everything they can. But one of the challenges about social networks, particularly networks that are very similar, is all the, all the opportunities that they know are all the opportunities you already know. Mm. So you're only going to get so far with that because you're not actually expanding the pie. Where it becomes a little more interesting, um, and there's a great article, and if you, if you think about it, that looks at the value of weak ties or individuals you have relationships with are, that are typically are dissimilar to you that are not as um, common in their interactions as you. And what is your level of comfort expressing needs to them? Because what that does is it expands the horizon of opportunities that you may have. And so feeling comfortable going out, perhaps of your comfort zone, and talking to others, similar others, others in environments that you would not normally think about, about what you're trying to accomplish, what that does is it opens up a lot more doors for you. Yes. I and mean, there's a very seminal study that shows that people who utilize those weak ties, those more extended uh, interactions as a way to look for jobs, tend to find more jobs and they tend to find better jobs, and they find jobs faster. And so this is right. that strength of weak ties argument. But that requires you to sort of step out of that comfort zone of being around people that are sort of similar to you and have a, a common, strong connection with you. So don't underestimate the opportunities in spaces that you're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, that's not, you know, maybe that's moving to a different location, but oftentimes it's not. It's just talking to different parts of your community that you would never have envision speaking with or looking at opportunities and in industries that you never thought could benefit from what you bring to the table. And I think finally, and this kind of goes without saying in some cases, don't be afraid to continually invest in yourself. Oh, yes. So skill always matters. Mm -hmm. um, it translates to almost every environment in every situation. Don't be afraid to continually invest in yourself. And that may mean taking in a job where when you come in, you're you're in your uncomfortable you're not comfortable because you can't say without a without a shadow of a doubt that you're the most skilled person in the environment but will you have a learning orientation yeah. and in the knowledge economy which is certainly the economy that we're working on service-based economy 
ultimately it's it's not just about what you know it's about how willing are you to continue to add new skills to your repertoire that matter and, people, and again that and people that can brings tell. More confidence. Yeah, and they can, can tell. tell your confidence and your if you say i'm taking a course on coursera or linkedin like they can see it or just if you're if you have a job or you're starting off in a yeah. row just acknowledging no i've not done this before i want to really get good at this Will you be willing to give me a little extra time and coach me on how to do this or give me some direction as to how to go about doing it? Just acknowledging that. And many times people would feel uncomfortable to say, I'm new here. You know, there's not a lot of employment security. Do I really want to express that? I don't know. You know, I think the good employers are going to say, well, you know, whatever we're doing today, we know we're not going to be doing three months from now. Give me yes. the person that's willing to continually say, okay, I know I haven't seen that before. How do I get better at that? Mm -hmm. That's going to be the employee that I think is able to generate a lot of value over time. So I think those three things would be, be key. Um, but I go back to that first one, which is your employment status is not an indication of your identity. That's mm -hmm. just an economic outcome. And you, you know, each, each situation is a distinct one. Do not in any way, shape or form discount what you're bringing to the table and don't let somebody else as well. Yeah. No, it's great advice because right now there's people that have, like I said, lost their jobs or they're working remotely and they might think, Oh, I don't, I don't even like what I do, but how am I going to pivot? But sometimes when you talk to people and I'm finding that I'm having a lot more conversations on zoom than ever before, but I always encourage people to talk to people uh, face to face like this. Don't just email connect. Because you never know with a conversation what someone might say or add or spark something in you or might ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'll never forget my advisor said that to me. I was trying to figure out my major. What do you want to, what interests you? And there was no wrong answer. And then someone might be able to mentor you a little bit. I typically find that it takes a lot of courage for a person to share their dream with another individual. You know, we're, we're, we don't want to get it crushed. We want to protect it. But I find that when individuals are willing to share their aspiration with others, people get excited by that. People get mm -hmm. inspired by that. People want to be around others that inspire them and they want to be a part of somebody's inspirational journey. Yes. And so, you know, I can completely understand, you know, you want to kind of cher cherishing and protecting that passion that you have. Nobody wants to get their, their feelings hurt or their spirit crushed. But I've often found that when I've been able to have the confidence to share my aspiration with someone, um, they get inspired by that. They actually want to, you know, they want to be a part of that. They want to be able to say, I knew that person when. They want to yes. be able to say, I played a role. In, and not that they get tangible benefit from it, but we want to be a part of others' success. So uh, I agree with that. Don't don't hesitate to share that dream with other individuals because you never know. Some cases, the worst that can happen, they can say is, oh, that's interesting, and they kind of move on. Right. But other cases, they go, wow, you know, I, that's really inspiring. I, really never, I never met someone who was thinking about doing that. I know someone who can help you with that. Exactly. Uh, certainly as an educator, I think one of the great rushes of my job is I'm in an environment where you have a bunch of people who are coming to terms with what their dream is every day. And as an educator, when they feel comfortable sharing that with you, you can, you can help them. And that's when you get the rush. The greatest joy in the world is to see what a former student is doing. Yes. And, um, you know, to know that you had a conversation with them when that was just sort of a beginning to form as an mm -hmm. idea and you see them run with it, there's no greater passion or joy than that. You bet. Where can people find out more about you? Well, certainly um, 
would love for them to come see me on LinkedIn, uh, follow me on Twitter and get a sense of some of the things that I'm involved in and that I find really important in the work that I'm doing. And uh, even more importantly, perhaps share some ideas or thoughts that I can build upon as well. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking to you. I loved having you on KUCI, but this is even better. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity.